Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, with Pastor John Kane. Well, folks, uh, today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. And as you're turning there, I'd just like to remind you that this is one of the most famous uh, biblical prophecy portions of the Bible. In fact, it's been called the backbone of prophecy by many. We know from last week's study, the first half of Daniel chapter 9, that we were in the year 539 BC. And this was a very important year in prophetic history. Because Babylon would be overrun by the Medes and Persians, and Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, would be captured and killed. And then Darius the Mede would rule over the realm of the Chaldeans, at the discretion of Cyrus the Persian. A year into this new regime, and now Daniel has been studying the Hebrew Scriptures, and he discovers in the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, revealing that the 70 years of exile for the nation Israel is nearly complete. The passage was Jeremiah 11-13, through if you recall. And it details God's decree that the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem would be in desolation and that the people would serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. When the 70 years were completed, God would then punish the king of Babylon. All of this had to come to pass. And so now, under the Persian king Cyrus, Daniel comes and he prays. Probably one of the most famous prayers in all of the Bible one of the most powerful intercessory prayers. Daniel seeks answers from God. Daniel's prayer, he seeks God's mercy and forgiveness. He worships God. He confesses sin, and he asks God for mercy. That's how we should pray. That's how we should approach the Lord. Well, this week, we will look at Daniel's vision given to him by the angel Gabriel, known as the 70 Weeks Prophecy. This is the prophetic timeline that God has set up for the nation Israel, in response to Daniel's intercessory prayer. Let's jump right in it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. It says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Can somebody please close that door over there, the uh, nursery room? Thank you. Presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for inquiry, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy." Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, 
The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary till the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and suffering, excuse me, offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Heavenly Father, we come before your word. Let us be humble as we approach your word. Let us desire for your word to speak to us in a way that only you can. Lord, let us take in, let us understand, just as Daniel was to be given understanding. And Lord, we just ask that it would, be, would have an effect on our lives that would make a difference to further your kingdom and bring glory to your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we start out with God's messenger, one of God's heavenly angels, delivering a message. And we'll start out with the first three verses from verses 20 through 23. Notice it says, Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, now, before I go any further, I need to make a, a slight correction from message last week. Last week, I said to you that the exiles had not been praying at all until Daniel started to pray. But what I should have said to you was that the prayers being offered were not for confessing their sins and repentance, but instead they sought God's judgment against Babylon. And we see an example of that in Psalm 137, verses 8 through 9. Notice what they say, O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us, happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. That's the kind of prayers that they were praying against their oppressors. But they weren't praying for repentance. They weren't praying for a change in their own lives. They just sought vengeance. And so there's Daniel now while he's speaking and he's presenting his supplication before the Lord my God on the, for the holy mountain of God. He's praying for Israel. He's praying for Jerusalem. Not only confessing and repenting, but also seeking God's favor. Again, the pattern that we should use when we approach God. You recall the verse from last week, Daniel 9.18. It says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. That pattern is something that you and I can do today. To this very day when we come before the Lord, we can come with humility. We could come seeking his forgiveness for our sins. He says in verse 21, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen at the beginning, prior chapter, Gabriel by name helped him with a vision, was being caused to fly swiftly. Notice, it's during his prayer time that the messenger from heaven gives him an answer, that God responds. 
And sometimes that can happen for you and I. During our prayer time, when we're praying fervently and we have a good, you know, our relationship with you is where it needs to be. Humble, submitted, devoted to him. Not perfect. Sometimes he answers our prayers and he gives us what we're wanting right while we're praying. He did that when you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. He answered your prayer right then and there if you became a Christian. So everyone has had their prayer answered while they were praying, if you're a Christian. Verse 21, yes, while I was speaking, notice the man Gabriel. Now the name Gabriel means warrior of God or man of God. We saw him in chapter 8. He was being instructed from heaven to make Daniel understand this whole thing about the, you remember the he-goat and the ram, you know, Greece and Persia. Well, he was giving him that information. He was, he was giving Daniel the, uh, the interpretation of the vision. Notice he came he, to fly swiftly. Now the question is, is, do angels have wings? Do angels have wings? You know what? Despite the fact that pictures and paintings and movies often depict angels with wings, the Bible gives very little support to that. Yes, I know, there are heavenly creatures. They are angelic creatures. The cherubim and the seraphim, they do have wings. But generally speaking, these paintings and sculptures and movies aren't necessarily biblical. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that let you down. Even so, this angel Gabriel, now again, his name signifies the strength of God. He was swift to bring the good news from heaven to Daniel. He came quickly, just as he would bring the news of the coming Messiah four centuries later. You see, Gabriel was the one who spoke to Zechariah. And he told Zechariah, excuse me, he announced the birth of John the Baptist. Gabriel also went to Nazareth and announced the birth of Jesus to Mary. He was swift, in this case, to come. And it says, he reached me about the time of the evening offering. This is uh, in the Jewish custom, and, and it would be a grain offering, which would be about three o'clock in the afternoon. Several commentators make note that this would be the same time of day that Moses would offer the Passover lamb in Genesis or Exodus 12. And it's also the same time of day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was crucified as the Lamb of God, given up and offered as a sacrifice for many. Matthew 27, 45. But it's interesting because the temple had been demolished. It was desolate for you know, nearly 70 years. So how did Daniel know to do this? Why would he reference this evening offering? It's likely that Daniel remembered these things when he was growing up in Jerusalem. He saw that. He could see the smoke coming. He knew these things were happening when he saw the temple offerings being made. But at this time, the temple's been destroyed. So they're not able to do that. But he references that time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in verse 22, and he informed me, and he talked with me and said. Now this is a message from heaven again while Daniel is still praying. O oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. Now why did Daniel need understanding? His prayer wasn't asking for understanding. 
He was praying for repentance for himself and for the nation. He was asking God for mercy. So why did he need understanding? Well, he was praying about the 70 years of captivity. And he was asking the Lord, remember at the end of the prayer, to listen and act. To listen and act and not delay. And sure enough, you know, we've got to be careful what we ask for. Because from heaven came Gabriel. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, this is Gabriel speaking, the command went out. And I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved. How comforting these words must have been to Daniel. How comforting these words are to you and I. When we read in his scriptures, we say, you know, it says you are greatly beloved. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, when we come into commune with God and we have our time of prayer, we can receive from God great encouragement. And that's what Daniel receives. The, the, the beginning, your supplications. When you started to pray, the command went out. God was responding. So don't think that God doesn't hear your prayers. But Daniel was about to receive much more than he asked for. Much, much more. And again, you've heard the saying, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. <laughs> God hears our prayer. God hears our prayer. Now, God knows even before we ask, right? Matthew 6 and 8, Jesus says, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need of before you ask them. Jesus is talking about avoiding vain repetitions, avoiding that, especially in public so that people can hear your prayers. But know that the Lord hears your prayer even before you say it. So he hears prayers. And God sends his answers. In this case, it was God's messenger, Gabriel. He says, I've come to tell you. And the question is, are you? Are you seeking? Am I seeking the Lord's wisdom for something in your life right now? Chances are you are seeking God's wisdom. Chances are you've laid things before him. Maybe, maybe you just needed to release. Maybe you just need to drop it. And he can take it. So God answers his prayers and he says it to those are, who are his beloved. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your prayers are in vain. You need to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus so that what I'm saying can be true in your life. You and I need to be like Daniel. You know, that's often said, that's used in a lot of men's conference, be like Daniel. We should all be like Daniel, genuine and faithful to God. Daniel sought the Lord through prayer and Bible study. That's how he did it, through prayer and Bible study. Are you and I doing the same? I keep reminding myself and I remind you, those morning devotionals or whenever you have that time are so precious and so important in your life and your spiritual health and your spiritual well-being. I can't say enough about it. 
The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Think cell phone, think Twitter, think stuff like that. But the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to earn it. He gives it to you if you seek him. These things we also speak, the things we want to talk about to others. We also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of a God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So important for us to have a healthy prayer life. And it's laid out for us in the life of these saints, in the life of Daniel and many others. Now we're going to get to God's message. We just kind of got to the very beginning. Now we're going to be in uh, verse 24. We're going to talk about God's message, the prophetic timeline of the message and its purpose. The who and the what, for instance. Uh, Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks are determined for you and for your holy city. 70 weeks. Now, 70 is our 70 periods of seven. This is how this is very common in the ancient world, in ancient literature. And here the periods, these 70 periods, are denoted in years. So you have 70 weeks of seven years, and the math is very simple. It equals 490 years. 490 years are determined, marked out by God, for your people. These are the Jews. These are the ones that Daniel is presently interceding before. The church is not being mentioned right now. For your people and your holy city. One way we know is when you look, that we know that these are years and not days, is that when you look at the established time periods for Daniel and Jesus, there were centuries between the two. Now why? That was God's, he, he, he let out, he said this prophetic timeline, why did he do this? And he gives six reasons. If you're taking notes, it's right before you. Six reasons that the Lord is doing this and that he's telling Daniel he wants to accomplish these things. First of all, he wants to finish the transgression, meaning to shut up or to abolish, to stop rebellion of God's people. Now, for 70 years, this exile was a punishment for their, their rebellion against God. They were, they were rebelling against God for 490 years prior. There's two 490-year groups here, by the way. But prior, remember, they refused to give the land a rest. And it added up. And it added up to 70 years of exile. For every year that they, that they refused to rest the land in the seventh year, that added up to 70, 70 years of exile. So the purpose that the Lord is doing this is to finish the transgression to stop rebellion. But it hasn't happened yet. 
Even in our day, we see rebellion continues. The next reason, the second reason, was to make an end of sins. To seal up, to tie up loose ends. Has that happened yet? Of course not. Sin will not be removed until we're in heaven together. The nation Israel today is by and large a very secular nation. And the world at large is fully sinful. We know that. So the first two things have not happened yet. Has not finished the transgression. Has not made an end of sin. But it's God's word and he will accomplish it. The third thing is to make reconciliation for iniquity. What does that mean? It means to cover or atone for. This has happened. Because of the work on the cross, Jesus did make atonement. The lamb who died for the sins of the world. This is the work of Jesus on the cross. So we can say with full assurance that the price has been paid. That reconciliation has been made. Number four. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. That has not happened yet. That is reserved starting with Jesus' second coming, the millennial kingdom, and on through eternity. Fifth, to seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, to confirm its complete fulfillment. That's when all of God's visions and all of his prophecies have been fulfilled. That hasn't happened yet. And finally, sixth, to anoint the most holy. This could mean one of two things or both things. This can refer to a holy person or a holy place. It could be referred to the anointing of Jesus by the Spirit of God to be the Savior of the world and to rule throughout eternity as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It, it, it certainly is that and can be that. Or it could also refer to the holy temple of God. In particular, in particular, the future temple that will be built for the millennial reign. The temple will be rebuilt in prophetic timeline. The prophet Ezekiel describes this temple in detail. Right now, you have the temple mount. You don't have a temple. The Jews don't have a temple. Okay, You've got the, the dome of the rock and you've got just the temple mount. But the temple will be rebuilt. So you can see that of these six reasons... Most of them have not been accomplished yet. They are future, and that's important. Verse 25, when will this happen? Well, some of it, not, not this, but some of the things we're about to say have happened, and some of the things we're about to talk about will happen. But they're going to be divided during three periods of human history. Three periods of human history. Look at verse 25. Daniel said, or excuse me, Gabriel says to Daniel, Know therefore and understand. In other words, be prudent. Wisdom from heaven will give you understanding, writes one person, because prophecy is meant to be understood. Prophecy is meant to be understood. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, that's the starting point, to the Messiah the Prince, the arrival of the Messiah the Prince. That's the beginning and end of a, of a period of time. The start and finish. 
from the going forth of the command. What command are we talking about? We're talking about the command that was given on a decree by Artaxerxes, the Persian king, in the year 445 BC. He gave a command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. He gave that command to Nehemiah. Restore and rebuild Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 2, verses 1, and then in 4 and 5 and 8, we're going to put that up for you. Nehemiah 2, those verses, we're not going to read them all, part of them. Here we have the chronicle that was written. It says, verse 1, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that's 445 B.C., March of 445 B.C., according to the Jewish calendar, in verse 4, it says, Then the king said to me, What do you request? He was, Nehemiah was a servant of the king. He was a cupbearer. In verse 5, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And at the end of verse 8, it says, That the king granted them to me, according to the good hand, of my God upon me. When the Persian king, when any king in that day said, make it happen, it would be, make it happen. So it started, the going forth of the command was in 445 B.C. Until when? Until Messiah the Prince. Now who is Messiah the Prince? That word, Messiah, means anointed one. And this refers to the appearance of Jesus Messiah, to the Jews on Palm Sunday, April 6th in A.D. 32. Palm Sunday. We just had our Palm Sunday message earlier this month. You may recall that for the first time in Jesus' earthly ministry, he allowed his disciples and his followers to refer to him in a, in a uh, royal status. Prior to that, he would either leave, he would duck out of the crowds whenever he's seen in public. Whenever people tried to crown him, he would move away. But he allowed his disciples to publicly proclaim his royal status, and that fulfilled prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And they shouted, Hosanna. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, he came in peace. He didn't come as a conquering king. He will do that soon, we think. It seems soon. Now, how do you... How do you you know, you say, well, Jesus was already there. I mean, he'd already lived for 33 years. What are you talking about, his arrival? Well, look, you know, first of all, as I said, he did not allow them to, to call him, a, you know, in a sense, in a royal status as Messiah. And when he was asked to quiet down his disciples that Sunday when he was riding the donkey in, you remember from Luke 1940, he answered, the, the Pharisees, you know, they basically said, tell your folks to be quiet, you know, order them to, to shut up because they're making too much noise and it's, you know, we're getting ready to, this is the Sabbath is coming. Jesus answered in Luke 19.40, he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. 
Jesus was going to receive his kingdom no matter what. He was going to receive that title. It's going to happen. Even if you stifle the people, even nature is going to cry out. Another thing that happened as he approached the city when he was coming down from the Mount of Olives was he wept over the city. You remember Luke 19, 41 and 42. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why? He said, if you, this nation, this city, Jerusalem, if you had known, even you especially in this your day, in your day, this is, you know, I'm coming, this is, I'm fulfilling prophecy, and I have come. The things that make for your peace, but they rejected him. They rejected him. And now, he says, they are hidden from your eyes. When we push God out of our lives, and we keep doing that, then he makes the things of God hard to see. All you're left with is Twitter and Facebook and everything else. Your own pleasures. That's all you're left with. If you reject God. So we said there are three periods of time periods, really, what we're talking about. First, the period, the first period is the seven weeks. Notice it says there shall be seven weeks. And we've established that weeks are years, so seven weeks of years, seven times seven is Thank you. You're better than math than I am. What does that time period represent? It would take 49 years between Ezra and Nehemiah to actually rebuild the city and its walls. And this is all recorded. You can see it for yourself in the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah. So seven weeks. There shall be seven weeks. And then he says, we jump into the next period of time. And 62 weeks. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks. First of all, 62 times 7 equals 434. 434 plus 49 equals 483. I didn't have that memorized, sorry. So that's the second period of time. And he says that the street shall be built again and the wall... Jerusalem's streets and the wall around the city needed to be, you know, rebuilt. And even in troublesome times, the passage says, between the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's a very detailed record of all the challenges that they had, the opposition that they suffered from within and without, the long periods of complete work stoppage. At one point, for 10 years, they stopped because of problems that they encountered. Mixed signals coming from the kings of Persia during that time. All right, let's take a let's take a, a breath. Let's t- let's take this stop for just a second. Let's ask a few questions. Let's let's first of all recognize if you're a Bible student, you say, "Wait a minute, Pastor John. I know my Bible tells me that there are actually four separate decrees allowing for the Jews to return and return, restore their city. There's four. And, and I would say, well, where are they located? And you would say, well, in Ezra 1, 4, Cyrus made a decree giving Ezra and the Babylonian captives the right to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. That was in 583 B.C. And you might say, also, Darius made a decree giving Ezra the right to rebuild the temple in 517 B.C. 
Or you say, Artaxerxes made two decrees, and the first one was he gave permission to Ezra for safe passage and supplies to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. That was in 458 B.C. But you selected the one that said 445 B.C. Artaxerxes made a decree giving Nehemiah permission and safe passage and supplies to return to Jerusalem and rebuild not the temple, but the city and its walls. And that's why we select 445 B.C. as the beginning. Because only the last of these four decrees was a command to restore and build Jerusalem. The first three focused on the temple, not on the street and not on the wall. And so that's how we chose that starting point. Next, you might say, well, uh, can we trust these dates? I mean, you know, how, how can you make such claims? And I believe we can. Why? Well, first of all, we need to keep in mind that date setting, we know from church history that date setting can be very dangerous. And we know that what Jesus said about his return, setting dates for that, Matthew 24, 3, on the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And we remember that Matthew answered, or excuse me, Jesus answered and he said, uh, but the day of the hour, verse 36, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father in heaven only. Now, with regard to this 70 weeks prophecy, we are given very specific timelines of the first 69 weeks, the, the 62 plus 7, the 483 years. And by the use of chronology, which is the study of historical records to establish the dates of past events, it's used all the time, we can establish the historical accuracy of the fulfillment of the time in which Daniel was given through his prophecy, through the messenger, regarding the first time Jesus was referred to as Messiah the Prince. All of that to say. In 1895, an Irish-born criminal investigator named Robert Anderson, who had established himself as a skillful detective and had served for nearly 10 years as the chief of the Criminal Investigation Department of Scotland Yard, you know, Sherlock Holmes, he authored a book titled The Coming Prince, and using his investigative skills in consultation with the astronomer Royal, and remember, the uh, British Empire was very prominent for many centuries in the world in setting dates and learning about the moon and the stars and these astronomical moves, Sir Robert Anderson compiled a chronology of Daniel's prophecy using the Hebrew lunar solar year of 360 days. In ancient times, you didn't have 365-day years. They had 360-day years. You say, well, okay, so that's based, we know that's true in ancient history. Can we have a, a biblical reference to that? Yes. In the book of Revelation, you'll see in, in chapter 11, 2, chapter 13, verse 5, 11, 3, and 12, 6, all indicate 42 months by the Apostle John when he wrote Revelation. And then he divided these 42 months into three and a half years, and he spelled it out. This equals 1,260 days. That's 1,260 days of a 360-day calendar lunar-solar year. 
And that's how these times were calculated until we switched over to the Gregorian calendar in our you know, modern times. Uh, a quote from Sir Robert Anderson, he said this. He said, the Julian date of the 10th Nisan was Sunday, April 6th, A.D. 32, when was the length of the period intervening between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the public advent of Messiah the Prince. Remember, Jesus coming in, in, as a prince, as a king. Between 14 March B.C. 445 and the 6th of April, A.D. 32, the interval contained exactly and to the very day 173,880 days or seven times 69 prophetic years of 360 days. These were the first 69 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy, he writes. Now, at the end of the period, at the end of period two, we, we go to verse six. Daniel 9, 26. Excuse me, not 6, 26. And there's a very important passage here. It says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 62 plus 7, 69 weeks, 483 years. This being cut off describes Jesus' judicial execution. He was lawfully put on the cross. He wasn't just took out and murdered, even though he was wrongfully convicted. He was lawfully put on the cross. He was cut off. But we know his death was, of course, not for himself, but for the sake of those who would receive him and his salvation. This is the same week of Jesus' triumphal entry, 483 years later. Very precise. Very precise. And it says here, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. First of all, you have the people, and then you have the prince. The people are the Romans. The prince, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, is Antichrist. The prince who is to come refers to the future leader of the revived Roman Empire that we've been talking about in our prophecy series through Daniel here. In AD 70, the Romans, the people, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, which is why it no longer stands. It says that this particular destruction, the end of it shall be with a flood. You have to follow me through these verses, please. The Romans overwhelmed the city with a relentless and brutal siege. I mean, 1.1 million people were killed. Uh, not a single Jew was left alive at the end of this whole uh, siege by the Romans for a period of time. And it says, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. This refers to the long period of time. Remember, this is a prophecy for the nation Israel. This refers to the long period of time that you and I are presently living in. This is also known as the church age. During the times that we live in, the world in general has been inflicted with war, natural disaster, social and cultural unrest. You know we can't deny that. It's out there waiting for you. Oh no, you're just looking out on your phone. 
It's all happening, okay? The world is in uh, turmoil and has been for generation upon generation upon generation. During this period of time, up until 1948, the Jews were dispersed among the nations of the world. And they had been tried to be wiped out. They were often persecuted. We know about the Holocaust. We know about the pogroms of the Russians. And so in, in, on his Olivet Discourse, when his disciples were learning from Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet in Matthew 24, verses 5 and 8, he says this about the last days, the days that we live in right now. He says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Seen that? Jim Jones, you know, uh, Sun Young Moon. And will receive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. What's going on right now? See that you are not troubled. Now this is important for us as it was for them. See that you are not troubled. These things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. That's the world that your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your father and I all were born into. All generations back. That's the time these desolations have been determined. They're still ongoing. Because, look, we've only covered 69 weeks of this prophecy. And that brings us to verse 27. The third period. This is talking about the prince who is to come. This is talking about the events of the 70th week. It says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He, the he, is the prince who is to come from verse 26. This is a clear reference to the Antichrist. And he would make a covenant with many for one week. This is the 70th week. The future seven-year tribulation under the one world ruler and government. This is the one, the coming world leader, who represents the revived Roman Empire, and he will confirm or sign a treaty with Israel, finally bringing peace to the Middle East. If you had a person that showed up right now on the scene, on the, on the, on the political scene, and was able to broker a Middle East peace deal and be successful at it, people would worship at his feet. They would do whatever he asked them to do because nobody's been able to do that. Warren Wiersbe writes about these Jewish leaders and what they will do at this time. He says, the spiritually blind Jewish leaders, ignorant of their own scriptures, will gladly enter into the covenant. They will sign a treaty. But Jesus said, if I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John 5.43. Jesus predicted what the nation would do. But in the middle of the week, he, the Antichrist, shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Three and a half years into this final seven-year period known as the times of the Gentiles. Excuse me, backing up. The times of the Gentiles is the period we're in right now. And this final seven years is the final times of man, his, man's history. 
But notice the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. What does that refer to? Remember, he made a treaty with the nation Israel, and that means they could build their temple and they could start their sacrifices over again because it, so, it would be so important to them. And so he comes in and he, he basically turns the tables on them. He sabotages the deal that he made and says, stop. He will no longer allow freedom of worship for the Jews because he wants the world to worship him. This is called the one world governing government. And it says, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Not only will he turn the tables on the, in the treaty with Israel, but he will replace their, their ceremonial worship with some kind of an abomination. An image that represents himself and the one world state and demand that they worship it. Where do we see this in the Bible? Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, talking about the Antichrist. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. This is the false prophet telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was apparently wounded and it looked like he died and it, was, it looked as though he was risen from the dead. Should both speak and cause as many who has not worshipped the image and the beast to be killed. It's going to cost you your life if you don't worship this guy. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. I'm sorry, folks, it's not the COVID vaccine. Thankfully, it's not the COVID vaccine. And that no one may buy or sell except in the on who has a mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So these things have to happen. And then it says, this is all from you know, God's messenger Gabriel to the prophet Daniel, 2,500 years ago, written down for us. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. This final week of seven years is going to be like nothing that this world has ever seen. God's wrath will be poured out through plagues and disasters. Antichrist and the false prophet will harass and seek to kill tribulation believers and Jews during that time. Satan will be cast out of heaven for good and he will be sent on earth to empower his beasts. But once the seven years end, the battle of Armageddon, Jesus returns, which completes the 70 weeks. It's yet to come. And finally, all the things that were Purposed in verse 24 will be accomplished. What are those? Remember, finish to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. When Jesus returns, verse 24 of that great prophecy will be accomplished in its fullness. Jesus Christ will defeat the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Jesus will establish his kingdom on earth. Amen? Now we know that Daniel, Gabriel didn't tell Daniel what would happen between the 69th week and the 70th week. And like I said, that's where we live now. We, we live in what many would call kind of a strange parenthesis. If you were to write it in that, if you were to write and change the word of God, which you can't do, but if you wanted to write it in your notes, we're living in that 
70 or just before between the 69th and the 70th week. We're living in a parenthesis. But this was a prophecy for the Jews and their temple and their city. Now look, regardless of where you may stand on the debate over prophecy, I'm not going to tell you, I can't stand here and tell you that there is not a debate. But regardless of where you stand, it's clear, it's clear that we are on a collision course with your eternal destiny. You don't get to live beyond 70 or 80 years, I'm sorry. And people that live that old, they wish they didn't get to live that old, oftentimes, due to sickness and, and infirmities. So you're on a collision course, as I am, with your eternal destiny. Are you ready? Does that concern you? <laughs> Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? Are you ready to meet him at resurrection? where your body will be raised to be with him for all of eternity. Your body will join your spirit. Are you ready for that? Or are you going to be uh, in, you know, if God judges you for not keeping the commandments, and we've all broken them, are you ready to receive his judgment? Those are questions that I leave you with, and I would love to talk more about it. But you know where to find me, and you know where to find the Bible. And you know what it says. And I pray that it's true. Heavenly Father, we ask that you go before us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, how you have put things together in such a way that we can understand prophecy. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to the hearts of everyone here and everyone who hears my voice, that they would know where they stand with you, whether they have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for eternal life in heaven, or whether they will suffer with the many who rejected you and be in hell for eternity. You know, it boils down to a very simple fact. What will we do with your great offering, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross? How will we respond to that? The most important question anybody could ever give an answer to. So Lord... Again, we thank you for our time today. We ask that you go before us. We ask that you would bless the children and the families that are here today. And Lord, we know the world is waiting for us. But may, may we be strengthened and encouraged that you answer prayer and that you will speak to our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, let's stand and close with our prayer. Stand and pray together. <clears throat> Numbers 624, verses 24 and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. Amen. Well, have a wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.